0: Emma and Leo, I am so impressed with you. Your Defray Torah, both of them, gave me chills. You spoke with beauty and with power and with truth. And it just so happens that your messages connect to something that I feel like I need to talk about today. So that is even better. I have been feeling like we are in a time of hopelessness in our country or if hopelessness is too strong of a word at least malaise. I've been deep in it with everyone else so much that I didn't even see it but this week I spent three full days in silent retreat praying and meditating and studying with a community of rabbis and it helped me to see and it helped me to snap out of it. There are a lot of theories being spoken and written about about why we're feeling so negative these days. Pandemic grief and fatigue added to overstimulation and exhaustion from four chaotic and cynical years of the last president, the war in Ukraine, anticipatory grief of mass species extinction, climate catastrophe, fears of economic upheaval and disaster, instability and mass migration, loss of faith in government compounded by embarrassing theater in Congress and a compromised Supreme Court, the lingering effects of a hate-mongering president, most relevant to us as a spike in American anti-Semitism, bitter culture wars, including the theft of women's control over our own bodies, the threat to LGBT civil rights and the censorship of African American history, the impacts of technology on our minds and our moods, a mental health crisis besieging our kids, late-stage capitalism, massive wealth inequality, deep alienation from work for millennials and Gen Z, grindingly persistent systemic racism. And you could probably add to that list. I recognize that we may not agree on what that list is, and there's room for us to disagree about what belongs on it. And even though we might use different words or ideas to describe the problems, I think we all do agree that there are big problems plaguing our society and our world. And even those of us who've dedicated our lives to repairing and healing this world seem pretty immobilized right now. This week we tell the story of our people's liberation from slavery, when 430 years of history changed on a dime when a future that seemed impossible for generations suddenly happened. And our people walked across a sea to freedom. It was the greatest miracle in our history. The Torah tells us that the sea opened up into two walls of water. We read that on their left and on their right, and the people were able to walk on the seabed between them. The song of the sea, Miriam's song, which you taught us about, Emma, so beautifully, demonstrates that the people were in complete awe At God's power to deliver them alive while their pursuers, their enslavers, were drowned and would harm them no more. In fact, a midrash in Bechilta de Rabbi Ishmael tells us that a maidservant who crossed the sea beheld a wonder that even our people's greatest prophets never did. Nonetheless, one midrash tells us something different. It tells us of an experience in the midst of the miracle that is, I think, most instructive for our time now. In Shemot Rabbah, we read about two men, Ruvain and Shimon, who couldn't quite take in the fact that they were on the path to freedom. They were so caught up in the mud of the situation, they couldn't even really see the walls of water on their right and left. They couldn't absorb the big picture of what was happening, and it didn't even seem to them that they were in the midst of liberation. The Midrash tells us, it was precisely at the moment they went down into the seabed, and found it full of mud because it was still wet from the water. There were two Israelites, Ruvain and Shimon, who were among all the Israelites. And as they walked through the sea, all they could talk about was the mud. Ruvain said, in Egypt we had mud, and now in the sea we have mud. In Egypt we had clay for bricks, and here too we have an abundance of clay for bricks. They complained at the sea, and even though this was the parting of the sea of reeds, They didn't notice the water. They only saw the mud. I would like to propose today that we are Reuven and Shimon. We are in the midst of crossing the sea. We are in an extremely slow motion miracle of liberation. But we cannot see the walls of water and we cannot see the path to freedom because it is so damn muddy on the way. We are very familiar with the mud. We are very good at complaining about it. We're very good at arguing about it. We're very good at analyzing its composition and its viscosity, its stink, and its effect on us. And unlike in Torah, our sea crossing is so slow that many generations will live and die before we get to the other side. But if only we could step back and see ourselves with perspective, we would know that we are crossing a sea. We would know that we are in the midst of a miracle of liberation. It looks like things are bad. And in many cases, they are bad. But in the big picture, in the span of time, most things are improving. According to global data compiled by Oxford University, global life expectancy has more than doubled in the past century. Two centuries ago, eight in 10 people still lived in extreme poverty, and now it's fewer than one in 10. In 1800, nearly half of all children died before the age of five, but today it's less than 4%. In the 19th century, people read mostly women, spent an average of 58 hours per week on household chores. Now it's fewer than 18. Over the same period, hours spent working outside the home, read mostly by men, were slashed in half, down to around 40 hours per week. It's not linear, and it's not as fast as we need it to be, but humanity is becoming more healthy, more free, more just, and more sensitive. And we're responding to environmental catastrophe at an unprecedented speed. As Adrienne Marie Brown said, we are shaping the future we long for and have not yet experienced. I believe that we are in an imagination battle, she said. That's why the story we tell ourselves matters so much. Let's just take a couple of examples from the big list of worries that I named at the beginning, starting with the environment. Anybody remember the hole in the ozone layer? If you are Gen X or older, you do. Two weeks ago, we learned that the Montreal Protocol, an international agreement signed in 1987 that regulated the consumption and production of 100 chemicals called CFCs or chlorofluorocarbons, that created a hole in the ozone layer and endangered the planet's entire ecosystem, it worked. It has saved the planet. More than three decades after that protocol, the use of CFCs has decreased by 99%, and the Earth's ozone layer is on track to fully recover. This shows us that we have the ability to reserve, to reverse our catastrophic impacts on the environment. And we not only have the ability, we actually have the will. Rebecca Solnit says, we've largely won the battle to make people more concerned and aware about climate change. The scientific journal Nature published a study concluding that most Americans believe that only a minority support strong climate action, when in reality, a large majority, close to 80% does. And we have the solutions we need in solar and wind, we just need to build them out and make the transition fast. And it's happening fast. And the Inflation Reduction Act includes funding to research better battery materials with domestic US sources. It's not only possible, but it is happening. Since 2008, the UK shifted from 80% fossil fuel, fuel use to getting more than half of its power from solar, wind, and nuclear, and almost none from coal. Scotland gets now nearly 100% of its power from renewables. Solnit says, 20 years ago, we did not have constructive ways to leave the age of fossil fuel behind, but now we do. And the solutions keep getting better. In 2021, the organization Carbon Tracker put out a report that showed that current technology could produce 100 times as much electricity from solar and wind than the current global demand. And their report concludes that the technical and economic barriers have been crossed and the only impediment to change is political. Now, of course, the political impediment is significant, but we are increasingly finding the will. At the current 15 to 20% growth rate of solar and wind, fossil fuels will be pushed out of the electricity sector by the mid-2030s and out of total energy supply by 2050. The unlocking of energy reserves 100 times our current demand creates new possibilities for cheaper energy and more local jobs in a more equitable world with far less environmental stress. Solnik concludes, at the end of the last millennium those barriers seemed insurmountable. The change is revolutionary, but the revolution was too slow to be visible to us. Because the energy revolution has been incremental, there's been no single breakthrough moment, yet it adds up to an encouraging and even astonishing narrative. On the other hand, people find grim narratives all too believable, whether or not they are grounded in fact. We are still inundated by harmful as well as untrue stories about climate and the future prophecies can be self-fulfilling. If you insist that we cannot possibly win, you pit yourself against the possibility of victory and the people trying to achieve it. Now I am in no way saying that we should sit back and watch. Quite the opposite. Every one of us is needed to do everything we possibly can to make this transition happen as quickly as possible. And here at CBE, our Dayenu circle is working on exactly that, and every one of you can get involved. Let's take another item on the list, the culture wars. Emma, you taught us about the incredible progress we're making in gender equality. Your grandmother's story would not have been possible 200 years ago. And I dare say that Miriam was not gonna get credit for the Song of the Sea, no matter how assertive she was. And by the way, I think she was pretty assertive. And as you say, neither you nor I would be standing here today if it wasn't for all of the generations of women who stood and fought for equality. And that fight continues today, as you taught us, including for pay equity, and including the powerful backlash we're seeing nationwide to the theft of our reproductive rights, which we will win back in our lifetimes. Mark my words. In fact, here at CBE, we will be observing Reproductive Justice Shabbat on February 17th for the second year in a row. And we'll be hearing from our own members who will tell their stories of abortions, and of births, and of advocacy, and of reproductive choices powerful stories to er er erase invisibility and shame and stigma. We are winning in the big picture on gender equality. We are. And we are also winning on LGBT equality. No one, no one is putting us back in the closet. No one is making us doubt our beauty and our brilliance ever again. The court will do what it will do, but we have tasted freedom and the culture has moved to embrace us and our love, and there is no going back. And finally, it is outrageous and backwards that Ron DeSantis can impact the AP African American Studies course curriculum, and I know the change in the curriculum officially had nothing to do with politics. However, let us remember that there was no African-American studies AP course ever before, and people fought for that for years and decades. Now, the use of racism to win votes is the oldest playbook in America, and it is infuriating, and we must fight it every day. But overall, this is not a step backward, but a massive step forward. We must not lose track of the progress we are witnessing and that we are part of. We must not lose heart. Now, neuroscientists, have demonstrated that our brains are wired for negative thinking and to privilege bad news over good news. According to the National Science Foundation, 80% of our thoughts are negative and 95% of our thoughts are repetitive. It's called negativity bias. Evolution has wired us to scan for danger and to obsess over bad news. 120,000 years ago, the best worriers, worriers as well as warriors, survived. Every news department, whether in print, TV, or clickbait social media, knows that bad news sells. So that's what we see. That's what our minds attach to. That's the story we tell ourselves. We rehearse lists, like the one I gave a minute ago, lists of all the terrible things. We convince ourselves over and over again about how bad everything is. What we know about the brain is that it is plastic, meaning it shapes and reshapes based on the neural pathways we use the most. What fires together, wires together, they say. It's as if neural pathways are a groove in the brain and the more we travel a particular groove, the deeper it gets. So it is so much easier for us to slide right back into old patterns than to do something new. It is so much easier for us to talk about what's wrong and so much harder for us to see and imagine that things are getting better. It takes effort and practice to activate a different set of neural connections to deepen a different groove. And that is upon all of us to do. And here's where your Devar Torah comes in, Leo. There you are. Because good news doesn't just happen by accident. The path to freedom isn't a conveyor belt. We actually have to walk through the mud. And you gave us some really important guidance about how to do that. Like Moses holding his hands up for the Israelites to see, we need to inspire each other to believe that victory is possible, that we can make it across that sea, that we can win all that we set our minds to, sustainability, equality, justice, freedom. And when we feel down with the state of the world, with the truly terrible things that happen all around us. And they are terrible, as all of us will feel down sometimes. We need to look to each other for courage. As you say, Leo, we need to ask for help sometimes, to lean on each other, to be uplifted by each other, just as your sweet Lucy did for you. And yes, I do believe that God is behind all of it. You don't have to. Probably the most famous midrash of all from this parsha about the big miracle is not about God or about Moses, but about Nachshon, a regular person who saw that action was needed and walked right into the sea until the waters reached his nose or his throat. And the tradition tells us that was how the sea split open. A regular person saw what needed to be done and did it. That's what brought about the greatest miracle of all time. And that is exactly what every one of us can do. Shabbat shalom.